In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I had a great conversation with Frank Burns, president and co-founder of Apana, a technology company that is currently applying IoT and prescriptive analytics to solve problems with water use inside the built environment. Frank shares his background in wastewater management, his passion for eliminating water waste and contamination in the commercial, industrial and institutional sectors, and how it sparked his interest in the smart city, smart community space. We discuss the way Apana uses technology and data for smart water management and why it's so important not only in individual companies but at a city level as well. Frank shares his thoughts on how this is currently happening in the US, the tug of war between tech-focused approach and bottom-up approach to smart cities, and why meaningful measurement is the key to integration and collaboration across sectors and disciplines. We finish our chat talking about water being the emerging trend that we're not talking about enough and how using IoT measurement and data analysis can be a security system against mechanical failure and human error in the smart water space. As always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live Work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Frank. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for having me. That's awesome. I'm so glad to have you. Let's jump straight into this first question, which is, can you tell us about your background and what you are passionate about? Certainly. I... uh am passionate about eliminating water waste from the use profile in the built environment. And I got into this because I designed and built wastewater plants for commercial centers that didn't have a connection to the uh, city wastewater treatment. And we started seeing that the wastewater plants were receiving a lot more water than uh, at some locations than the design had projected. And we began to look upstream into the buildings on that campus and realized that there were a number of mechanical failures and then human waste activities that created a lot more water use than was necessary. And um, when we brought that up to the client, they're like, well, what's the best way to fix this? Uh, And we're like, every engineer, of course, you could expand the wastewater plant. But the most practical thing the most cost-effective thing, the thing that made the most sense was just to stop the waste. And so that's what got us started about 20 years ago. And um, we went in and we would teach and people would be like, oh my goodness, yes, we're that's crazy. We don't need to do that. Sweeping the floor with the hose makes no sense. So I sort of got into this idea of eliminating the water waste in the commercial, industrial, and institutional sector of cities because of... Uh, eliminating the impact on the wastewater plants. And that has been sort of my professional focus for, well, the past uh, 20 years at least. And I didn't start out to be the founder of a technology company with uh, Internet of Things devices that pump data to the cloud and run analytics that makes it useful to people in real time. That wasn't what I was up to. We had to create all of the technology, all of that backbone infrastructure to be able to help people eliminate water waste in real time because everything else failed. So uh, that's a little bit about my background um, and, and how I got into this. 
Cool, cool. That's awesome. So tell us what sparked your interest in this smart cities space. Well, we ended up with this technology portfolio that we call end-to-end, where we put in the Internet of Things devices on water meters, essentially, reading the meter, pumping that data to the cloud every minute, and running the analytics. You can see things when you measure in that high of resolution in real time. You can see all kinds of stuff when somebody starts sweeping the floor with the hose, when a water softener fails, all of the different failure points. Well, we became experts in the property inside the fence line. And uh, our clients have us all over North America and somewhat in Japan, and we're uh, being pressured to expand into Australia. But the the idea of inside that property line, water management, we call it smart water management, uh, and making that practical was um, we're doing that across, you know, thousands of places. The idea of the smart city came um, about because the technology we use is we're using LoRa-based radios that have a range of about two kilometers diameter. So we can connect a property, but it can connect a lot more than that. And we have begun working with some cities in the United States where the city has they, – they have a tremendous um, asset base. They're, they're very wealthy as far as infrastructure goes. They own literally thousands of water meters, and our technology can connect directly to their existing meters that are already in the ground, pump that data back into the cloud with LoRa radios that last 10 to 20 years – and basically take our entire infrastructure that's minute-by-minute minute resolution, automated analytics that tells people if they have a problem, what to do and how to solve it. That can be done by leveraging the assets that are already in the ground with the city. So in a couple of places, we're connecting their meters, running this stuff, uh, basically doing what we do with the in collaboration with these cities who have conservation goals uh, for whatever reason. And that, so from a smart city perspective, it made tremendous sense to us that, well, wait a second, cities own all these assets. They own all these meters. They're not connected. They're using it primarily for the purpose of billing water. Well, if you measured in a really meaningful way at one minute intervals and could had the technology to process that data and make good use of it, it's a whole nother level of value for the people inside that property line, as well as moving back toward the city. It unlocks a lot of different value um, uh, propositions, not, not just waste control. Things like, are they destroying assets? Do we have, uh, you know, value engineering? You know, do they have, have they way over designed because they were using assumptions? All of these types of things come out of that. And, uh, to do it at a, uh, to do smart water management at a city level makes tremendous sense to us now because it's possible. Cool. Cool. So tell us what is a smart city to you? Well, it's where the things that make sense are connected and the data is useful. <laughs> okay. You can monitor and measure all kinds of things. A lot of it doesn't make sense to do. So when I say makes sense, I mean a, a smart city is something that's taking the stuff that means something and, and getting that data back so that it can be processed 
turned around and made useful to either uh, the automation systems or the people who, who can act on it. And either from a immediate intervention or general reporting perspective, um, you know, I'm pretty focused on water. Uh, so we, we, we see a tremendous potential of ma- for making water systems significantly smarter, basically replicating what we do inside the fence line across all properties that are worth connecting. And that's why our focus, when I say worth connecting, I mean, you, you could connect every house. But the, the things that really make sense immediately inside of most first world cities are, is the commercial, industrial and institutional sector properties because they have tremendous water use. And, uh, that's where most of the problems are. Hmm. So I think you've answered this a little bit already, but why is this smart city concept so important? Well, the number one consumer of electricity in most first world cities is the municipal wastewater treatment plant. We tend not to think about those things because, well, for all kinds of reasons, but we, we put all the water into our infrastructure. It becomes contaminated with garbage disposals and what have you. And, and restaurants put stuff into it. And then that water is pumped to the plant, wastewater plant where they put in tremendous amounts of energy to remove the nutrients that we put into that water. So from a smart city perspective, I think the, the lowest line fruit for us as far as, you know, built environment is to reduce the unnecessary water use and contamination that, uh, hits our wastewater plants. That would have an immediate reduction in our energy consumption at the largest energy user in most of our cities. Um, so I think the smart city approach to smart water management is the most practical, fastest way to accomplish that. And that's why I have begun to focus on driving this ability to, we call it manage water like inventory because people understand how to manage inventory real well. Well, we ought to be managing water like that. And so we, we want to push that paradigm into our from a city level where it will have an immediate and lasting reduction on the waste profile it's the easiest way for us to reduce the energy consumption by capacity in our distribution and wastewater treatment facilities yeah cool so that's why i think the smart city approach is the best way to pull it off we're pull, we're doing this with private customers Costco Wholesale has rolled us out all across North America, and they're deploying us in Japan and in many other countries where they where they operate. Other major global brands are doing uh, similar stuff, not nearly to the level that Costco has. But uh, um, individual organizations or enterprises are driving some of this, but we really need to take a full city approach. It, it becomes quite practical to do it when you collaborate with a city and you attack by a city, city by city uh, approach. For example, we tell clients that uh, we, we have this 90 days to results process where if it's a major global 500 company, it's okay. We'll go in, do an assessment, do 
take a couple properties and from start from the time we first talk to the time you end up with some results will be about 90 days and we'll move through the step one, step two, step three methodical process. That's 90 days collaborating with a city. You can get, if you do it at scale, you can get those results in 10 to 15 days at a fraction of the cost. We're going into enterprises, installing additional water meters and sensors that are in some cases redundant to what the city already owns. Almost every property requires a few more meters to be added. But if we collaborate with cities and attack from a the, the waste profile in collaboration, uh, you can get the results faster for significantly lower expense. Cool. Well, I totally agree with that. I think we need to approach it um, from a holistic uh, kind of level, and I think it, it just makes sense. Um, but that collaboration piece is obviously key. And I'm keen to hear the, your answer for this next question, which is how do you think the U.S. is embracing this smart city concept overall? There are an awful lot of mayors in the U.S. who want to be associated with the idea of a smart city. <laughs> you know, it, it it is a it has a nice ring to it. Our um, observation to date has been that they're moving methodically, and there's a lot of tug of war over the best way to pull it off. You have major entities coming in saying, "Okay, you need to buy our stuff to cover your entire city." And then you have these sort of bottom-up smart city concepts like what we've come up with is you measure the things that make sense. You stick in a couple of things at very low cost, and then you just add on. And as it makes sense, you fold in assets that are worth monitoring or measuring and managing. And at the end of the day, the, the smart city uh, it's basically management. So you're collecting data so you can make sense of it and you can take some sort of action and control, manage, and get a result that is beneficial for the community. Well, I've talked with a number of cities who are uh, reluctant to commit to a given approach, a given technology at a full city scale because they know in five years it's going to be there's going to be a lot more out there. So um, we're getting a lot of interest. Okay, we'll just go at this methodically. If it makes sense right now, we'll do it and get the return and uh, and have flexibility to add things as they uh, become more viable. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, that makes – that approach, I guess, makes sense until – I guess there's always going to be something new, right? There's always going to be – you can always get the latest iPhone or the next thing or wait for the next thing. Um, but yeah, I, I guess as a, as a city, you, you're really responsible for, you know, spending that taxpayer's money efficiently. So they need to take a, uh, considered approach to things. So well, it, yeah. one of the components of how we've gone about this is we've chosen to use a radio technology called LoRa. It basically is Wi-Fi on steroids. It allows you to connect a, a, a radio feedback for multiple kilometers. And that that is, it's a very open thing. So the cities that we are collaborating with now are seeing that, okay, we'll stick some of these collectors on a few commercial sites. And then we can add in 
the garbage collection. We can add in these other types because there's a number of LoRa uh, sensors that are commercially available and coming out. Um, so when I said build up by the things that make sense, I, I, I may have been misleading there. You know, they're seeing that they can own their own communication network, their own Wi-Fi network uh, mm-hmm. to cover the things in their city that make sense. And they add now once they have some coverage in, in the places that are critical or, or high value, they just begin to add things. Yep. You know, this particular property has, you know, these features that make a tremendous amount of sense for the city to, or the owner or whoever to manage in a more data driven way. Bam, you connect them. So that is a, uh, I, I see it opening up uh, a lot of possibilities for cities because they can grow it more organically by um, prioritizing the things that, that make sense. Yeah, no, that makes much more sense. I think I um, misunderstood you there. But no, that definitely makes sense. And I think it's important that we pilot these things as well to make sure that they are the you know most effective use of our time and effort. Uh, and I think that's starting at the the things that are critical and then adding as we go. I think that that is a really good approach. Um, and, you know, then we can pivot as we need to if, you know, new technology becomes available or you know, something else becomes more critical or that kind of thing. So, yeah, no, that's cool. So what are some of the projects and things that you're currently working on? I think we've talked about this a little bit, but really keen to hear some of the um, other things that you're working on right now. We're conducting the largest uh, evaporative cooling tower study that I think has ever been done in the United States. We have over 100 um, units under minute resolution monitoring right now. And we've had the data coming in from a broad range of different types of locations uh, across North America for three three years now. Um, we're getting ready to publish the first uh, level of findings from that study. Uh, that's really important, I think, for the built environment because uh, cooling towers, which they're, they're, they remove heat through evaporating water. So it's basically evaporative cooling processes use an enormous amount of water in our built environment and especially in hot climates where frequently water is scarce. What we found is that these things go sideways frequently and you can fix them and they go sideways again. They have, there are six recurrent failures that you can see in the water fingerprint and then they have complexities like they're a they're a, a managed device that has an operator that comes in who sets a controller to make the thing work but they are not going to come back for another month well during that month they can have the a number of failures and and operators humans can make can make errors too so the data set what I've been working on here for the past three days is just deep diving data, but the data set is showing, uh, you know, controller failures, small electrical failures that make the controller fail, operator error, mechanical th- pumps go bad, float valves go bad. Any of those things that happen create tremendous water waste or put the asset at risk in a cooling tower. If you don't have enough water flow, it's really bad. It damages the asset. So that's that's an area that we're currently working on um, with our approach to high-resolution measurement and the management that comes out of it. 
I think that that will be, uh, probably transformative for, um, the cooling tower fleet, certainly in North America, which is three to 500,000 units because, uh, they use a lot of water and they're, um, it's very difficult to manage them uniformly from a, from the, uh, perspective of creating codes that a city could say, here's, you know, here's the code and now we're going to enforce it. Our study, I think, is going to provide the information that will allow them to say, you know what? These have to be measured and monitored. And that allows them to determine the optimal operating range for each unit. And then they'll have a score. How close are you to optimal? If you're not within 85% of efficiency, you know, you're going to go into the yellow zone. And if you get below 50% during drought conditions, they're going to fine you or shut you down. You know, that sort of glide path that the internet of things and smart city brings to uh, the built environment it's going to enable cities to create practical meaningful code and have it enforced uh, almost in an automated way there won't be begging we won't need to take out ads to say oh please conserve water you'll have measurement that'll manage and make it transparent and the thing when things go sideways, people will know they and if they decide not to fix it, there's an enforcement mechanism that would be enabled that would help the community contain the waste. But in reality, it would when you measure, you get when you measure and report in a way that is meaningful, uh, humans tend to respond real, real quickly. So, uh, but that's what we're seeing. That's what we're, that's one area we're working on that's, uh, that we feel is significant is, is evaporative cooling. Uh, and it's, you know, part of our built environment focus. Mm. And we'll probably see more and more of that with the, you know, an increase in data centers and that kind of thing. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, most of the buildings in the Southern, Southwest of the United States have some sort of evaporative cooling system, swamp cook, all kinds of names for them. They're just basically evaporating water that removes heat. And, uh, we're fairly dependent on it over here, but it's also the part of our country that is most, um, vulnerable to, uh, water scarcity. Mm. So interesting. Sort of a odd situation. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's move on. Um, let's talk about uh, integration because you obviously have you'll be working with the government there and that kind of thing. So I'm keen to hear what you um, think, how we can better integrate across the different disciplines, governments and industry. My gut reaction is we need to measure. We need measurement that is accurate and at a resolution that's meaningful and, you know, in specific to water, which is my area of focus, we have a water bill. We, we measure and we were all given a water bill that might have told us that we had 20% more use two months ago. Um, it doesn't really help you. Um, so when I talk about measurement being the thing that's going to enable collaboration and, and transparency and all of that, we get this whole internet of things, um, capability that is now here. And then the ability to use that data. If we measure in a meaningful way, and I, I, I think I can argue that one minute resolution data is what you need to be able to pinpoint problems and guide their resolution. But even if you had five minute, that level of accurate measurement 
made useful in, you know, at a glance reporting, that's the type of thing that, um, turns the lights on. And when it's, when, when there's no hiding and the light and there's total transparency and it's obvious to everybody because it's right there, well, then collaboration, you, you know, the, the, all of the discussion points around should we collaborate and how do we collaborate and what's meaningful? Well, kind of all becomes pretty simple. We, we end up with a lot more conversation when we don't know, when it's ambiguous. Um, and so I, I think, uh, well, my experience is talking with these cities that we're in, working with sort of in a pilot, uh, form right now. Um, turning the lights on sure helps. It makes the conversation really, it's, it's just so obvious. So, uh, I think that that is where smart city is really going to begin to take off when you can capture the information in clear enough way that you can report it. And it's obvious. There's no, not a lot of conversation left, you know, and then you can move incrementally and say, Oh, wow. You know what? This is pretty obvious. Uh, we have an opportunity and we can make that happen. Let's take this step. Let's take this next step. But absent, absent meaningful measurement, I think we'll be spinning our wheels. Yeah. No, I agree. I think measurement is, is a real key. Um, measurement and communication, um, is, yeah, the real key to how we can better collaborate and integrate. Um, yeah, cool. Well, let's, Jump to this next question, which is, what do you think the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about enough? Well, you're, you asked the water guy. So. Yeah. I'm keen uh, to hear. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get it. <laughs> the, uh, I think <laughs> that eliminating water waste, unnecessary water use and unnecessary contamination should be the new solid waste recycling. I don't know about Australia, but I imagine you're much like the United States. People are vigilant about recycling. We separate, we do all kinds of things. But when you look at how water is used and the impact, it's out of sight, it's out of mind, and we haven't even applied our brain to that part of our uh, resource consumption and our impact on the environment, uh, really. Uh, so I think that measurement is going to make it easier to do this. And I think the future is that eliminating the amount, the water use that is in our cities that is not necessary because it's wasteful. And then the second side is reducing the amount of contamination that enters the water. Things like garbage disposals, where we put food in it, grind it up so we can pump it to the wastewater plant and invest a tremendous amount of energy to remove it biologically is just pure silliness. We do this in all kinds of ways and um, creating some sort of way to connect that to the uh, receptor port in the human brain. Uh, and I believe it is through reporting and measurement and, uh, and making it simple will be transformative, I think. So I think that eliminating unnecessary water use and contamination as common as the practices we apply to solid waste recycling, I think is the area that we haven't really done a great job talking about because it, it's been clumsy, but now I think it's a lot easier mm. and, and it, and it would have a huge impact. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it will have a huge impact and I think you're right. It's out of sight, out of mind. I mean, we buy water efficient things over here and that kind of thing, but it really is out of sight, out of mind. 
Um, and when we can, if we can bring it back to, you know, at a glance reporting and that kind of thing, um, to the community and to the decision makers, I think that can really impact and help us, um, you know, minimize that water waste. One of the things you just mentioned, I think is so critical for us to understand this, the idea of these, you know, water conserving devices and things. And that's a lot of how we approach the problem and, uh, we have to do it. We need to be thinking in those ways. But if a low flush toilet has a one liter per minute leak, that's 1440 mm. liters in a day. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's, it's, and that's just an example of a tiny mechanical failure through the, through our measurement and work over the past, you know, 20 years. I can tell you it is across almost every type of endpoint that we install into our built environment. So if you have a water softener, a reverse osmosis filter, um, crazy things like in large grocery stores, they'll have a bakery oven. Those ovens have a humidification system. Those fail. <laughs> uh, the rotisserie ovens are connected to water and they fail. Uh, we use water for all of our faucets and our fixtures, every single one of those devices that's connected can and absolutely will at some point fail. They should be designed to use water efficiently, but it's the failure of them that is where the huge waste is. Now, that's just for the mechanical side of our built environment. Take the human side. Um, we have, uh, it's, we're humans. You know, it's easy to leave a faucet on because we forget, you get pulled away. Uh, sweeping the floor with the hose is a heck of a lot more fun than sweeping it with a broom. Um, all of these types of things and, and, and the stuff that we feel is necessary, but may not be. So there's all of this human practice. Uh, I call it operational waste and the mechanical stuff that's just independent of our best attempts to design and install low use machines. So th that idea of the, the idea of having some sort of, you know, we call it a security system. Like we have security systems for our home or all over the place. Well, if we measure water in a meaningful way and connect it at scale, it's very inexpensive, but it provides this security against, we know this stuff's going to fail, right? <laughs> well, when it does, um, you end up with an ability to first off know what's happening and then pinpoint it and then classify it and say, you know, it is likely this, it's likely in this spot, look here and guide somebody on what to do when it happens. That's, that's what a smart city will look like. And, you know, we're probably 10 years away from that. Yeah. Uh, as far as the city level in 10 years, I believe all buildings will be will be controlling water much like they control inventory, staff hours, all of the other critical inputs. They'll be wired up and, and managing uh, effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, that that measurement, that monitoring and that control is a really important thing. And I think that's what, yeah, the smart city will bring to the water space. So cool. Yeah, and, and it's and it's a very different idea than the idea of like a low flush toilet. Yeah, definitely. This is like, yes, put out all your low flush toilets, put out your low flush, you know, and be cognizant of this stuff, but we're going to measure. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to measure, we're going to verify, and when something goes sideways, we're going to let people know, and we're going to guide 
and it's all going to be done automatically without having to have a bunch of engineers stand there and look at a data feed. And then you provide reporting. The who's naughty and who's nice list, or at least some sort of relative, like, look, your building is, you know, 25% above others for these reasons. You know, that type of at a glance transparency is going to be real helpful in making smart cities uh, the reality. Cool. Well, it's been so awesome to chat with you, Frank. Um, I really enjoy the water conversation as well. Um, so I'm so glad you could come on. I really just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Sure. The best way to connect with us is probably through apana.com and that's A-P-A-N-A.com is our website and, uh, it's very focused on automated analytics around, you know, helping private customers eliminate water waste across their fleet. Uh, I'm sorry, industrial clients. Um, but, uh, if somebody had a question about the technology side, uh, Laura enabled, uh, networks and, uh, advanced analytics, uh, just email us through that site and, and we have a tremendous body of information around that stuff. It's not what we lead with on the website because most people want to just understand how do I get my head around obtaining my goal of reducing water waste. But at any rate, apana.com is the the best way to get a hold of us. Cool. I'll put the link in the show notes um, and so people can click away and connect with you. So thanks so much again for coming on to the Smart City Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Talk soon. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. 